0: This is the Rise City Church Sermon Podcast. We are a church in Gresham, Oregon, on a mission to rise up
1: and saturate our city with the gospel. We would love for you to join us on Sundays. For more information, check out our website, rise.cc. Whether you already follow Jesus or are exploring Christianity, we hope that you experience the power of God through this message. a church that was a lot bigger than the church that we came from felt intimidating, but it was honestly like the first or second Sunday we attended, they were starting some groups and we went online and looked and we, we love to eat food and we found one that was on Tuesday nights and it was like just dinner and fellowship and I was like, well, that's pretty perfect. That's where we're supposed to be and we felt instantly at home with these people and a lot of them were, have been friends for a long time, but it didn't make us feel not welcome. I think if anything it made us feel more comfortable. It was like okay these people like each other and they are really inviting into their home and it's easy to connect over a meal and that's where we've found just great relationships, long-lasting friendships with these people. I think being a part of a group has helped us become more like family. Needs are there within a group, and when we come here on Sunday, it almost keeps you accountability where you can meet them and say, hey, how did this project go, or how did that job interview go, or do you need some help with your house, or just a service project, and we, we as a group can come along together as a family and meet those needs.
0: It's also knowing that you're not alone. There's other people that are going through similar life challenges and experiences, and when you Know that you're not
1: alone and you're not living in isolation because you're part of a community. There's just something about that because people want to be known and they want to be seen.
0: I think for me, being a part of a group has made me feel more connected at Rise just because it provided an opportunity for us to like meet individuals, like outside of just the Sunday experience. Like we got to go into someone's house that was a part of our church. It provided an opportunity to talk about Jesus outside of church, but then also grow and feel connected with more individuals personally.
1: Yeah, and it was like a familiar face when you walked in the doors on Sundays, so you felt less out of place yeah. in the bigger group. Like you had somebody that you looked forward to seeing every Sunday, someone that you could connect with on those Sunday services
0: too. The community has helped us on a Sunday get connected with different events and different people and seeing someone to talk to and they're inviting new to meet their friends and you continue to grow with one another and especially our kids, they feel more comfortable uh, having other kids that they've met outside of church that feel welcoming and inviting uh, into their home. I think the term church family is pretty relevant and like given for a reason because you get to be open and honest and create that family dynamic. during the week, wherever it may be, in a coffee shop or a house or at the church, wherever it is.
1: What has happened is a community has developed where it's a men's night, but all the men from our group were meeting together, we are all friends when we didn't know each other in September. And here it was, like February, and all of us, like eight dudes, eight bros, were just hanging out together. It wasn't around me, it wasn't around Jason or Nolan or anyone, it was God created this friendship, unity, community. And these guys are now are doing extracurricular activities together through our simple little marriage group. And it just created something that was just beautiful to see. I was just tearing up watching this, like this is, this is it because what God put on our hearts to share in a group is, is now what, what this it's, it's taken off. And now this group, they don't need Russ and Anita to be there. It's they're themselves. Yeah. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's so, it's humbling and so exciting to see God work.
0: Whoa, how we doing today, Rise? Oh, we're rowdy. 11.15, you're the rowdy crowd. You slept in, you got enough sleep, you're not cranky like the 9.30, you're not tired like the 4 o'clock, it's just the perfect balance. Don't tell them I said that. Glad you guys are here. This is a joyous Sunday. Uh, we are launching our groups. Um, th- what happened was this was a ministry that was thriving in a huge part of our DNA and who we are. Um, during COVID, it kind of shut down. And then when we revamped uh, to move forward as a church and um, start gathering, we, we really started gathering these kind of mid-sized communities, um, house churches, and then, you um, The church itself kind of exploded through multiple services. And so what we're saying now is as we grow larger, we need to grow smaller. We can't just be a crowd that we feel like we're lost in. We need to be seen. And so uh, what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at highly practical. So last week what was laying a theological foundation for what is community. We looked at this idea. We are creating the image of God, and God is triune. He, he is community. He is a community of perfect love. And so part of the very, uh, what it means to be made in God's image is that we are communal in our very nature. We looked at how aloneness, that God said aloneness is not good. It is not good for us to be alone. That is before sin or the fall or anything entered the world. That is, that is not good. We saw how the garden uh, sets up this, this framework. Uh, we are to be people in proximity and closeness. We are to be vulnerable and known by each other. We are to hold each other to account for how we're actually living our lives. We are to spend time together and what it looks like. But the fall... The fall ruined everything. At at the fall is this moment where humanity turned inward and we did not trust God and so there's this great separation. And this is part of what we're experiencing. This is why we experience isolation and disconnection and aloneness now. But this is what Jesus came to redeem and restore. He came to make all things new to restore all that was broken, our disconnection from God, our disconnection from the rest of creation, and our disconnection from each other. And so while we look at this thought of how do we find our people, we need to understand in our minds, theologically, this is the framework for uh, a theology of community. And what we're going to do today is, okay, now how do we live that out? Very practically, looking at biblical wisdom, how do we find our people? And so I want to build this concept just called Build Your Circles. We need to be a people who actually build deep core friendships. So let me ask the question what keeps us from finding our people? Why are we so lonely? If God created us for connection, why are we so lonely? Yeah, part of it is experiencing theologically the fall, but part of it is just the realities of everyday life. We would say things like time, man, I'm just so busy. I don't have time for friends. Like That was fine when I was a kid and I was running around on the streets, but now now how do I actually build these friendships? What does it look like? For some of us, we've been wounded in community. And so the thought of trusting people and letting other people in feels deeply intimidating to us. Uh, For some of us, we're in a season of life change where we sit down and we're like, man, life is hard right now. And and what I'm adding to or I, I recently moved here or or I'm in a change with my job or family or kids. All these things, all they contribute to the fact and, and then you just lay on it the, the fact that relationships, they're just hard. You know the hardest part about relationships is people, right? You're like, man, you are fallen, right? We just, they take time and they take sacrifice. They take investment and people have let us down. So as disciples of Jesus, as followers, we need to always look to him both in what he taught and the way he lived. And so what, what I want to start at, as I, want to, I want you to understand this concept of how Jesus walked and how he lived, that Jesus, he actually had circles. We see these multiple different groups that Jesus had these relational circles with. First, there was a group of 120. So when Jesus, he, he dies, he raises from the, get, uh, from the dead on the third day, and then he ascends to heaven. We find out how many followers there were uh, following Jesus at that moment. There was 120. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So we always think about the 12 disciples, but there's actually a larger group. And then there was this ministry group of 72 that we see Jesus sends out in Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So there's this group of 72 that are disciples, and they're active in ministry. But of course, we all know that there's the the 12. Jesus had this group of 12 disciples. And in some way, it's him declaring that that he is making a new covenant, because what we see in the Old Testament is these 12 tribes. So these 12 disciples, they, they represent this new covenant with these new, these 12 men that he, that he has fallen. But he says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And the next verse in Matthew lists all their names. But even within that, there's this group of three. It says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they, all were, where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. He reveals a a separate, you know, something uniquely to them. And I just want us to understand this concept, okay? That Jesus, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And part of being fully man is he took on human limitations and he showed us a way to live that leads to life. And one of those areas is relationally. If the son of God is not BFFs with 17,000 people, neither can you be, right? We have to embrace these human limitations that are, are placed on us. And so he's deeply intentional in the way he walked, and we have to walk in his footsteps. And so we need to be people who understand the circles that God has placed us in and live with wisdom and intentionality, pursuing and investing in the relationships that are around us, learning to actually recognize and so we need, to, we need to build our circles. And, and I want to look at these circles that are in our lives, okay? Uh, the, the widest circle is what I would call your connections. These are just people that in some way, shape, or form, uh, maybe you work with them, maybe you go to church with them, maybe they're in your city, uh, you see them in a coffee shop, you run into them at a restaurant, your kids go to school together. It, it, you, went to, you went to college together. You grew up in the same town. We all have these connections. And, and, and these all are people that are potential, what I would call potential circle people. You are connected to them. And so in some way, shape, or form, they can, they can come into your circle, the, people, the, the spheres of influence and relationship and accountability that in your life. Uh, then it gets a little bit smaller, what I would call your crowd. This is what I would call a village of 500 that you know or 150 that you roll with. Now, let me explain where those numbers come from. There's a guy named uh, Robin Dunbar, and he did this study. He was a sociologist, and he did this study about human interaction. And so they came up with this thing called Dunbar's number, right? And he broke it down like this. He said, look, we can recognize roughly 1,500 people, Uh, okay? Now, that sounds like a lot, but if any of you still have Facebook, you feel really popular on there because you have about 1,500 friends, right? And if you went through that list, you could probably point, you could say who most of them are, like, oh, I met that person, you know, X year, or, you know, here's this interaction, or I met them at a coffee shop. We have a, this, this kind of sphere that we can recognize, these, this, this, this uh, crowd that we, that we kind of, or, you know, th- this con- these connections that we have, but within that is a little bit smaller, in what he would call acquaintances, where you're like, no, no, but I really, I'm affiliated with this, this group of people, and that's about 500 people. And then even smaller than that, the observed, we can have about 150, 150 meaningful contacts, right? And so think about, like, your Christmas list. You're making your Christmas list. Uh, you know, you probably have somewhere between 50, 100, 150. You don't have 500 people on your Christmas list. You cannot afford the postage for that unless you're hand-delivering them all, right? Like, but So there's these different small, these smaller groups. And we need to recognize the closeness of these places. This is why, um, you know, most churches, you know, good-sized churches are somewhere between 150 and 500 people, right? Because that's how many you can recognize, um, but, but you can't, you're not gonna have this, this association and affiliation with 3,000 people, okay? So the, it gets smaller and smaller, and so you have this crowd. Hey, we have some kind of connection. We have some kind of affiliation. And then what you, what you start to move towards is really this is your people. First, your crew. This is a crew of 12 to 15 friends, May, maybe a little bit larger, maybe a little bit smaller, but these are people you really spend time with, Okay. And again, when, when, it, when, when we see Jesus and his 12 disciples, um, this is descriptive, it's not prescriptive, it's describing how many he had. It's not saying, you have to have your 12, you know, you, I got my, tw- my, my, my crew of 12 disciples, no more. Like, who's the Judas, right? You know, it's, it's just laying it out there. It's like a basic framework for us. But you remember, I don't know if you remember, uh, during COVID, we're all a little bit traumatized for, by it, but there was a season where people would say, oh, this is my circle, Right? We're just gonna spread our disease amongst each other and call it good, right? You know? And so you had this circle and you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't affiliate with anybody outside of your circle. This is just, think of that, that, that kind of group. These are people you do hangouts with and parties and vacations. You sit around the fire and make s'mores. You watch your kids at the park. You open your Bible and you study God's word together. You can't sit with a group of 150 people and, and intimately study God's word together. But you can do it with 12. You can sit with eight. You can do, do it with 16. You're known. You have game nights together. You go trick-or-treating with your kids. You don't want to go 50 deep people trick-or-treating. You're, you're going to come back and be like, okay, how many kids did we lose, right? Uh, no, you, you got, you got you, this is your crew, people you hang out with and you spend time with. And then even deeper than that is your core. And kind of depending on your personality and how you're wired and um, this is somewhere between two, three, four, maybe five of your closest. These are your people. I mean, they, they know you. And, and it doesn't mean it has to be a circle. People who are your closest friends, they may have their own crews, right? They, they don't But these are your people, people who, who you've walked through battles with, people who can call you on your junk and know it, people who know day by day what you're going through, the state of your heart. When you're when you're in a fight with your spouse, you can be honest with and there's not this judgment, there's this understanding. When you're going through something difficult at work or or you're living in fear, or you have this sin that you can't strip yourself of, you can these people know you. These are these are your deepest friends. You guys, we are made to have this. But but before I talk about and kind of expand on this idea of your people, your your crew and your core, um, I wanna make sure I don't miss the very center of it all um, because the very center of all, it all is your relationship with your creator. God has to be the center. And, and, and let me just say this. Part of the reason you feel a disconnection and you feel like people let you down is because you're putting eternal expectations on finite people because, because you're trying to have them meet something in your identity in your soul, in your personality, that only God can meet. And, and we have to start there. And if we look at our lives and our relationships and they're all fractured, you know where you start? You don't start with, with glue trying to put them all back together. You need to go at the very core of your soul and you need to spend time and have your identity and your connection shaped in security of Jesus and who he is. It tells us in Ecclesiastes that eternity was set in our hearts. That means we are created for a relationship with a God who will never let us down, a God who will ultimately satisfy us, and the only relationship with, a God, with God can fully fill our hearts and complete us. And so all these other relationships and connections with people, they're actually meant to be an overflow, an expression of the love, security, and identity that is found and formed in us through deep connection with our Creator. We, we have to start there. And if things are in shambles and out of place, man, we, we need to go back to, man, who is God? What, what has he done? And have, have I received his grace and his forgiveness? Have, have I walked in obedience, falling after him? But, we need to also look at our people. And so I wanna look at these two categories, your, your core of your two to three closest friends and your 12 to 15, your crew of people. And this is what I call your rule break friends, okay? And, and here's why I would call your rule break friends. Um, we all have social rules that we follow, don't we? Things that are okay to do and not do. Um, things th- things um, your cr- Like your people, those rules are out the door. Here's what I mean. Like, so you're, let's say you're having people come over, right? What do you do? You immediately need to make your house look like no one lives there, right? We don't eat on this table. Kids do not play in their rooms. Like, everything is away. Like, this chair, it looks like somebody sat in this chair. You got to get it perfect, right? What happens when your people are coming over? You shouldn't clean up, right? They're literally, like, pushing toys and, like, like laundry and, like, garbage out of your hallway, and they're like, what's up? You're still in your bathrobe, you know? Because you're comfortable with your people, right? Your people are the ones who you're having a dinner party that starts at five. They know they show up at three to help you set up, right? Like the party before the party. The, 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 and they stay for three hours afterwards to help you clean, clean up the mess. This is your people. They're your fridge friends. You know what fridge friends are, right? You go over and you open their fridge without asking. You know where things are organized. You're having a deep conversation. You're literally pulling out last night's lasagna to microwave it, and they just hand you a fork. You know, you don't even break conversation. You're just rummaging through, right? You need fridge friends. These are the friends friends that when you're hanging out with them, they're coming over, you're like, hey, can you pick up my kids on the way? I don't really, you know, they, they were being brats. So like, I didn't feel like, you know, pay, I don't feel like picking them up today, right? These are the friends that on a, on a snow day, they just sneak into your hot tub without telling you and then send you like a selfie and are like, come hang out, right? You need those kind of people in your life. These are the friends you invite yourself over for dinner. You're like, oh man, I am missing your tacos, okay? Are you free on Thursday? Can I come over and can you make me tacos, right? This, this is your people. The friends you call when you're building a fence, not because they're good at building fences, but because they make building fences fun. This is that tribe. These are the people that know you and they love you despite knowing you. They stick by you through thick and thin. As Proverbs lays out, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And this is what we need in our lives. We need our people. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes, it it reminds us that we can't survive life without these people. Uh, Ecclesiastes is what's known as wisdom literature. It's written by Solomon, who also wrote Proverbs. So think of it as like emo Proverbs. It's kind of a downer, okay? But there's some gold nuggets in there. This is one of them. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Listen to me. Needing other people in your life, this longing that you have to have people who know you and love you, and walk with you. It is not weakness. Needing other people is recognizing we are stronger together. This is who God made us to be. We, we need our people. I was watching a video a couple months ago, and uh, it, it's of a man who was adopted, knows nothing about any of his family. And uh, he was raised, and then he, he goes and um, starts his own family and his wife is filming him and they have a grown daughter and she, um, she's going through something so she starts doing some genetic testing. And, and, and the wife has something to go tell her husband and so she films it. And, and I just, I, I want us to watch this together and to observe.
1: Bethany did a little um, genetics test to see about the belly. Because she was hurt? She's pregnant. Mm -hmm.
0: Then what is it?
1: She found somebody.
0: She found somebody?
1: That has 30% genetics with her in common. And the only people that are that in common with her would be a grandparent. Her grandparents on my side are
0: gone. Oh, that yeah. means I actually got kinfolk. He
1: wants to talk to you. We've already. She's already talked to him been texting him all day. He wants to FaceTime with you. Okay. And you have sisters. I have sisters. I have I have people. He didn't even know that you existed, and he's so excited to find you. I have people. He lives in Colorado. He worked for Lockheed Martin for 30 years, and he has a ranch up in Colorado, and he wants to see you as soon as possible.
0: You have a dad. <laughs> you were made to have your people. To be alone is, to, is not good. And all throughout scripture, we see story after story of these biblical characters. And you know who they have? They have their people. Adam, he has his garden partner, does he not? David, David has his mighty men who are willing to go to battle with him. Esther, when she saves the nation of Israel, she's not alone, she has Mordecai. By her side, her people. Paul, as he goes and plants churches, he's always, he has brothers with him. He has Timothy and Barnabas, constantly surrounded by people. And even Jesus, he had his disciples. Men he asked to sit and pray with him as he prepared to face the cross. And so who are we if we think we can just go through life alone? It's not what we're created for. It's not what we're made for. We are made to have our people, people that know us and love us, push us towards Jesus, call us out on our areas of weakness and sin and, and, and stick by us closer than a brother, pick us up when we fall. Jesus was constantly modeling this for us. He's, push, he's leaving the crowd to go share a meal with a few. He's leaving the thousands To go on a boat with his 12. Man, we are made to have our people. Ronald Rollheiser puts it like this. He says, we all have this place, a place in the heart where we hold all that is most precious and sacred to us. From that place, our own kisses issue forth, as do our tears. It is the place we most guard from others, but the place where we would most want others to come into. The place where we are the most deeply alone and the place of intimacy. The place of innocence and the place where we are violated. The place of our compassion and the place of our rage in that we are holy. In that place we are holy. That's who we really are. And we need people who, who, who know us and love us. See, finding our people is about finding people who help us find the truest versions of ourselves that God created us to be. That remind us, now we're called to be disciples of Jesus. Remind us that our identity is not what the world says about us. Remind us that, that, that by his blood, he purchased our freedom. And he washed us white as snow. People that love us in the midst of that. Man, we, we are meant to have our people. So, so what do you look for? What, what do we actually look for when we're looking for our people? Well, here, what we looked at last week was this framework that we see in the garden. Okay, We see that we actually need to be in proximity. We need to share presence with each other. We need people that we can be vulnerable with. They were naked and unashamed. People who know us and love us, and it's gotta be both, that we're fully known and fully loved. People that hold us to account for how we live our lives and how we walk and what that looks like. People who we share a common mission or purpose with, that that we're actually moving towards something. And people that we actually get time with. We see this garden framework. So the Bible, all throughout the scripture, constantly, uh, the scriptures are pointing us to what does it look like to be a good friend? How, how do we actually live this out? And so I just wanna, I wanna look at a few of these ideas that we can, as we're saying, man, I, I, I need my people and I want to be that for others. What, what, is, what is a biblical framework for that? So here's the first one. Look for people who are available. That, that actually can respond and spend time with you. Proverbs puts it like this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so we actually need people who are available to, to spend time with us, not people who are overly busy and overwhelmed. And, over- and and here's the other thing. This is what we do often is we, we say, man, I feel lonely and I want friends. And we see these people who have these big friend groups and we think, okay, I want them to be my friend. And so we invite them into things, but they're, look, they're already full. They're, their lives are already busy. And so walk with wisdom in this, invite people into things, but actually it, do they respond and are they available to actually spend time with you? A, a good buddy of mine, he has this, this theory where he's like, um, I invite somebody to, to something three times, right? And if uh, by the third time they haven't responded or participated, I, I just don't invite them to things anymore. And I'm like, that's harsh, man, right? And then the other day, uh, I realized, like, he invited me to go to the gym with him three different times. <laughs> and I said, no, all three, I wasn't available. And then he's never invited me since, what's happening? Well, well, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm not gonna force this. If we're gonna spend time together, you gotta actually be available, and if I want to spend time with people, I need to make myself available, what that looks like. Here's a second. Uh, they need to be driven. And what I mean by driven, you can replace the word, you can uh, f- find one that fits you better, but somebody who inspires you, somebody who, uh, who they're, they're who you want to be. Paul lays it out. He says, therefore, encouraging one another, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We should lift up. You need people who make you better. People who make you a better husband. People who make you a better mom. People who, just being around them, you learn how to be a better friend. People who push you deeper into God's word and, and have a more passion. Like, man, they're, they're so driven. People that you look at and you're like, I wanna be like them. I wanna be more and more like them. They did a study. Harvard did this study that, Dan, that Darren Harvey wrote about. And he talks about this, this idea that they observed that the people you habitually associate with Determine as much as 95% of your success and failure in life. And I think it's so true. I think if you look at your five closest friends, you're probably the culmination of those people. People you're actually spending time with, right? And this is biblical proverbial wisdom, too. Iron actually sharpens iron, right? Dough does not sharpen iron, okay? It it just does not, right? You need people who are driven around you. And And somebody who spends time around fools comes to folly themselves, so we need to say, man, this is somebody, I want to be like that person. And they, they, they drive me to be a better disciple of Jesus, and so spend time with them. Here's a third one, okay? Uh, somebody who's compatible. And, and here's what I mean. Um, it just makes more sense if, there's some, if it's somebody that you, man, I just kind of vibe with that person. You ever had a conversation with somebody, and you're like, I just want to be friends with them. They are awesome, Right? Like, it's because you're, you're compatible. You're, you're just, your interests is, is, is a piece of it. Your, your, your connection in those things. Sometimes it's life stage, right? You're gonna go through these different life stages and you're like, you know what? It, it actually, we have a different level of kinship. We have a different level of brotherhood and relationship because of our life stage. Now, you can go outside of that without a doubt, but, but it makes such a difference. I, I was reading in 1 Samuel and I was reading about this relationship That Saul, the king of Israel, and he has this hatred for David, who's the future king. But it's fascinating because Saul has this son, Jonathan. And it says, as soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Man, they just were compatible. So so look for that. Seek that, find that in other people. And then the fourth thing I would encourage you to look for is people who are other-centered. Not people who are driven by selfishness. Look for people who aren't just all about themselves. Paul writes to the Church of Philippi. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Those are the kind of people you want to be friends with, and that's the kind of person you want to be. I remember for, for Jesse and I, one of the moments that deeply shaped our lives was uh, Dave and Sherry, they were having this, uh, this church planting dream night out at their house, and we had just recently met them, and they invited us. Uh, so, so we took, we, it was out in Corbett, so we took a horse and buggy, and we go out there, <laughs> and uh, we meet at their house, and there was a group of, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 people just d- dreaming about what it would look like to plant a church in this city. And uh, we knew hardly anybody. It was me, my wife, Jessie, and her brother, Jay. And there was only a couple people that we actually knew in that whole circle. So we just felt like strangers and outsiders. And we got done with a meeting and planning and strategizing. And uh, J- Jared and Chelsea Hargens uh, came up and sit, uh, sat across from us. And they're like, hey, like we, we see that you guys are new and you don't know anybody. You just look like losers. And like, we just want to... <laughs> We just want to meet you. Like, we want to get to know you. We want to know your story. And they just started asking us questions and inviting us. And they were so others-centered. And that, we walked away, we walked away from that night saying, I think we're going to eventually plant a church with these people. And Jared and Ch- Chelsea, they planted on day one, and they've been here ever since. Jared oversees our facility team and has, like, helped build this facility that we're in. This is a, mo- like, these are people, uh, others-centered, actually inviting you in. But the truth is, Scripture actually warns us of people that we should watch out for. It, it, it lays out, hey, th- there are people that are, that are toxic people. And Paul says, do not des- be deceived. Bad company ruins good character. It, it, it corrupts it. And so we need to think about who we're spending time with. And so if we're looking for available people, we need, don't just be, watch out for people who are overly busy who are constantly just letting you down. And and here's the truth. Sometimes like you're expecting something that they can't give, and you're putting this burden on them. Maybe their friendship circle is full. Maybe they're just overwhelmed with work, but you need to just step back and be like, man, they they aren't available. They're overly busy. Uh, The contradiction to somebody who's driven, you need to watch out for somebody who's comfortable with sin. I don't mean find only perfect people, okay? Because you won't. And then look in a mirror and you'll realize you're disqualified as well. What I'm talking about is people who become comfortable. They they celebrate their sin. Paul puts it like this. He says, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. They glory, they celebrate the sin of the world and what it looks like. Here's the truth. Some of you, part of the reason your life has been a disaster is because of the people you're associating with. They're comfortable with their sin. And every time you get together, you're dragged back into it. You you need to create some boundaries and some distance and say, no, these can't be my people because they're not pointing me towards Jesus. They're not pushing me deeper in my faith and my relationship and trust in him. These are people who mistakenly believe they don't need to change and they should not be the ones who make up your inner circle. Um, Next, you should just be leery of what I would call forced friendship. Friendships that you're just trying to hold on and make work, even though they don't anymore. Uh, Jesse and I we were we were talking about our wedding parties the other day. Who, who was all in our wedding party? And I was looking through mine, and I was like, man, none of these guys, uh, none of these guys live in the state of Oregon anymore. And I was like, man, that's hard. Like it's hard for me. These at one point these people these were my brothers every single one of those guys I was so close with. And, and I have this like grieving, like ah, oh, like I miss these friendships. And I tried to force it for a while, right? I, I mean, I know you're in Tennessee and I'm here, I know you're in Colorado and I'm here, but after a while you're like, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm spending all my time and energy in a relationship that was for a season rather than embracing what God has for me today. Can I just encourage you to acknowledge there are friendships in your life and it doesn't mean you don't love them and don't care about them. And it doesn't mean that they, they broke trust or any of that. It's okay that certain friendships are for a season. And, and so you keep trying to force it. And in trying to force it, you're not embracing those who God is looking for you to pour into and build relationships with today. And, and lastly, and this is what's so toxic, uh, the most toxic friendships are, are selfish friendships. People who only talk about themselves. People who only care about themselves. You sit down to coffee And like, you got like four words in. And then they're like, I gotta go. They're Like, it was so good hanging out. You're like, I wish I could say the same. Right, right? (laughs) Man, Jesus modeled the exact opposite. Jesus was constantly other-centered. And so we need to walk in that in the same way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And we need to surround ourselves by people who are available, who are driven, who love Jesus and and are the kind of people we wanna be, who we are compatible with in some way, shape, or form, and that are actually other-centered, and and, and we move. So how do we actually grow, build deep connections? This is who we look for, but then how do we actually build these connections? What do we do? Well, I got three things for you, okay? Here's the first, engage and participate. Um, Some of us, we sit around and we say, man, I just don't have any meaningful friends in my life. Yet anytime we're invited to something, we decline. We come up with some reason that we're too busy or some excuse. We, we need to actually engage and participate in what is around us. Paul puts it like this when he's talking to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, right? 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Man, there's actually a shared life. And there's a lot of options out there. But, but here's what I wanna invite you into. Um, one here, like, I, I really want you to join a group. Um, again, our story is that this was a huge part of our DNA and who we are. And when COVID hit and everything kinda of shut down, this is one of the things that, that never kind of um, birthed back. And so we've been spending the last six months as a church Um, recruiting leaders and having meetings and casting vision and laying out a framework for groups that we can actually move forward so we can build these connections. And let me tell you uh, what you're going to experience in these groups, okay? This is is our goal. First is friendship, right? That you would actually know each other. Second is discipleship, that we're growing closer to Jesus together, that we're growing in this relationship, what it looks like. And third is care, people actually know you and what's going on. Now, let me just say this, like, it's gonna take time. it's, relationships are messy. Don't expect to like show up week one and like, you know, ha, ha, you, you, you have tacos and all of a sudden you're like, these are my people. They know me and I know them. Like, no, it's going to take time, commitment over and over. And again, as our church is is relaunching this, we're going to have, it's going to be messy. I'm just telling you right now. We're going to have some groups where like way too many people show up and you're like literally like just stacked in a living room. And we're going to work that out. It's going to be, be patient through the process. But, but we know as a church, we have to fight to get smaller as we grow larger. We have to be in discipleship communities that know each other, places where we can study the scripture and know about each other's lives and b- build up and encourage each other. And so, so here's, what I wanna, here's how you get involved, and here's what it looks like, okay? First, we have groups um, meeting all different nights of the week. So we have Tuesday groups, right? We have seven groups that are, that are meeting on Tuesday. And it, it, the first thing I want to say is like, I know all of these leaders. They are incredible people. They love the Lord and they love people. And all of them said, yeah, we're willing to open up our home or we'll, we're willing to meet here in a third space at the church or, or, or whatnot because we wanna actually walk with people. In the... So we have Tuesday groups. Uh, we, have, we have Wednesday groups, right, that are meeting. We have Thursday groups and we have Friday group, right? Okay, so Steve and Sue Overby, if, you're, if Friday's the only day you can do, all 70 of you go hang out with Steve and Sue Overby, right? Okay, but, but here's, here's the point. You actually have to engage. You actually have to participate. You actually have to take this step forward to find your people and to say, what does it look like to belong? Um, if, you, if you're on our email list, which is pretty much anybody who signed up for anything and hasn't, um, marked us as spam yet, okay? <laughs> then this morning, you got an email listing out all these groups. It, it arrived at nine o'clock. Pull that up and look through it. And, and I just wanna encourage you, like find one or two that you're like, hey, I wanna, I wanna go check this out. Some of them are launching this week. Some of them are launching the follow, following week, but go participate and start building connection. After the service, all in the lobby, you're gonna see these balloons and these tables and there's group cards. And I, I just want you to take one. Take a, t- take a handful of them, like, oh, okay, here's some. And then there's a QR code, and just scan it, and then get information and say, hey, I, I-, I want to come participate in this group, and they'll follow up with you. Here's the address, here's when we're meeting, here's the details, we're looking forward to seeing you. And like, let's start pressing in. We actually need to uh, engage and participate. Second, um, we need to, you need to invest and in invite. And here's what I mean. You have to make an effort. It's, you, you're not just going to show up and community is gonna happen. No, it's, it's the beginning. It's the opportunity for community, but you need to make an investment in other people's lives. And you need to invite them into yours. Um, nobody's coming to make deep relationships happen for you. Like nobody's gonna show up in your life and be like, okay, here's your, you know, here's your people, right? Like that, that's not, don't email me. Be like, I haven't found my people. I'm like, invest and invite, right? Like pour into the lives of other people. The author Hebrews. Puts it like this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. What is that? That's an investment in the lives of others. Second, we need to invite them in and we need to spend time with them. Let us not neglect our meeting together, some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So you need to make a purposeful investment in the lives of others. Invest in their lives with zero expectations of anything in return. Man, write cards, write cards, Send encouraging text messages. Put people's birthdays in your calendar. Like write meaningful, like their favorite snacks down and just like show up. When they, when they open up about something going on in their life, actually remember and ask them about it later. Like, like care about people. You, it, it's amazing what will happen if you actually are a friend to others, the kind of relationships that are going to be developed in your life. But also invite them. Like, you take the initiative, and you plan the double date. You plan the game night and invite whoever can make it. You invite somebody to join you at your small group. You invite someone to go with you while you run errands or go to the gym, but only invite them three times, okay? But, but <laughs> welcome people in. See, grace, grace is a gift that's received, but friendship friendship is earned and built over time. We have to make the investment. And this is the third is, man, take the time take the time. Actually press in. It just takes time. That, those circles, the that, that, that Dunbar, those Dunbar numbers that he talked about, an, another sociologist later was like, hey, I wonder how long it takes to move deeper in. And this is how he laid it out. He says, look, it takes about 50 hours of interaction to move from an acquaintance to a casual friend. That's a lot of time. It takes about 90 hours to move from casual friend to a friend. And and more than 200 hours to qualify as a best friend. Like best friends don't just pop up, they're built over time. Um, I, like, I love listening to podcasts. I'm like a podcast junkie, okay? I, I have way too many podcasts in my feed and I have like this category, right? Right? I have like my you know Golden State Warriors podcasts and I have my church leadership podcasts, I have like real estate investing podcasts and parenting podcasts, like all of them, okay? And the only way to be able to listen to all these podcasts is you have to you have to optimize your podcast listening experience, which I just feel like I've gotten down to a T, right? Okay, so first of all, this 1x speed, waste of time, right? You know, you gotta do 1.5 at least. Maybe if you're feeling crazy, do, th- do 2x, you know? If you're 3x, you concern me, you have problems, okay? <laughs> all right, maybe slow down life a little bit. But, but like, I- I'll listen to these podcasts and I'm it, right? I skip all the boring, I know when the, oh, this is the point where the commercial's coming, I skip over them, right? I hate the intros where they're like, updating on it here, what's going on in your life? I'm like, I don't care about that. Like, get to the good stuff, right? I I have optimized my podcast listening experience. Here's, Here's what I worry is, I think some of us, we tried to treat friendships like a podcast where we're gonna optimize it. We wanna speed things up. We wanna skip the boring and the sad parts. We wanna feel... Like deep and close friendships after only a couple months or a couple hangouts and we act like we can optimize our friendships and just get to the good stuff. Let me just tell you, here's what, one of the things I've learned about deep friendships. The good stuff is built in the dull moments. The good stuff is built in, in the sadness, in the grieving together. Deep friendships, they're, they're built in just being in each other's presence. They're forged through the moments of pain. They're established through deep trust and deep trust takes years, if not decades. Ronald Rollheiser puts it like this, great love, like great art, takes great effort, sustained commitment, and lots of time. This is what we're calling you to. Man, like build your circle. Like imagine your life filled with your people. What it would be like if you knew who to call when it all hits at once. People who love you enough to push you to live your calling. People you do game nights with and and pray for your kids when they're sick. Your people who who really know you. On Tuesday night, I had a bunch of guys come hang out and sit around my fireplace in my backyard. And uh, we stayed way too long. Uh, We stayed past midnight on a work night. But we opened the scriptures together. Uh, We enjoyed good food and good drink together. We opened up about our marriages and our struggles and our fears and our joys. At one point, uh, we accidentally laughed so hard we woke up my kids. But as I crawled into bed that night, smelling of campfire smoke, and bacon-wrapped steak, and brotherhood. I just thought, man, these, these are my people. Like, I love these guys. But here's what we have to know. That group didn't just happen on a random Tuesday. This is a group of dudes that we've served together in our church, side by side for years. We've worked through disagreements and misunderstandings and wounds. We've hashed it out. Like, we've laid sod together in people's backyards and we've scraped skating rink floors together. We've literally carried one another when we were too weak to stand. We've wrestled through the scriptures and meaning together. We've watched kids' baseball games. We've dressed up like Elton John. And when the world shut down and tried to drive us toward isolation and fear, we pressed deeper in and we didn't quit each other. This is what it means to build deep connection in this lonely world. Here's what I need you to see. This relationship, these connections, Jesus literally prayed for that for you. He prayed that you would experience a oneness and a closeness and a connection in the way that he is one with his father. This is what he prayed for his church. This is what he wanted us to build. This is the type of family and connection that Jesus modeled as he walked the earth. This is the depth of connection that Jesus is inviting us into in the love of the Trinity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And ultimately, this is the eternal family that Jesus Christ bought with his blood on the cross if we would but walk in it. And this is what we're doing and this is what we're called to. This is what it means to find our people. Lord, would you build this in our church? Would we, I, this is so much, but Lord, would we take this biblical wisdom of what it means to find people and build friendships and who to look for and how to invest and how to engage and how to go slow. And would you help us to live this? And by your spirit, would you build these kind of relationships? Would you allow this to be circles of trust and love and discipleship, and care, pushing one another, prodding one another all the more as the day of your return draws near. This is what it means for us to be your church and to truly love one another. We pray all this in your name. Amen.